This is the final word. World Cup Daily Day 24. Durham Shaler, just outside the ground here. We've just finished the light show. Uh, Australia played New Zealand. The show brought to you by Westfield London. More extra, less ordinary. Pirates and Race and Jeff Lemon. Please tell me about that entire game in the space of 30 seconds. Travis Head and David Warner go off in a flurry in the foothills of the Himalayas. Big opening partnership. They six this all around. Australia lose the way. Pat Cummins makes 40 runs in no time. Australia make 388. New Zealand start well but lose their way. Daryl Mitchell plays a great knock. Rachin Ravindra, one of the all-time World Cup innings. And Jimmy Nisham comes really, really close of taking them home. Gets run out. Australia win by five runs. By five runs. They made 388 and they defended it by five runs. It was an extraordinary night. It was the highest scoring World Cup match ever. We had that Sri Lanka-South Africa game a few weeks ago, with, but that was 400 plays 300. It wasn't a close contest. This, this was a contest, despite having the most runs ever scored. It was a contest where Australia had an opening partnership of 175 in the first 19 overs. The first wicket falls, David Warner gets out from the first ball of the 20th over. So 19 overs, 175 on the board. And it still felt like a slightly disappointing total by the end of it. The 388 that they made, and they picked up pace at the end as well, or not even at the end, by about the 37th over. That's when Glenn Maxwell came out. Uh, so he smashes 40 in quick time. 41 from 24 balls for Maxwell, reversing. Josh Inglis plays really well, 38 off 28. And Pat Cummins comes out and starts monstering them. 37 off 14, he hit four sixes. His clean hitting was back, and yet... Australia get bowled out, four runs, uh, four, four deliveries unfaced. And there's that middle section with Mitchell Marsh and Manus Lavashan after Steve Smith is out for a run of ball 18, or 18 off 17. There's this weird patch where they don't really score many runs and they poke around. And you're like, okay, but 388, but it could have been 430? I don't know. It, 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 is it right? I've seen a lot of people who are watching the team feeling disgruntled by 388. Is that a reasonable response? I mean, look, after the first five overs, they were 60 without loss. And you know, the projected scores come up. They were in the 500s. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, I thought maybe it's possible. Just the way Warner and Travis Head were hitting, hitting sixes for fun. Matt Henry gets cleaned up, 44 runs of three overs. He goes for 21 runs of two balls, 15 or one ball. And that's the rate at which Australia was scoring. And you felt that which Mitchell Marsh now into bat at number three, they'll just continue in the same way and get at least 420, if not more. But then that's Light them up. Exactly. And who brings them back into the game? Not Trent Bowl, not Matt Henry, not Lockie Ferguson. Glenn Phillips, it just adds to the bizarreness of the day. Uh, bowling some really useful off-spin. No, 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 he was way more useful than just useful today. He bowled a couple of cheap overs and gets rid of David Warner, cotton bowl, and then is, is played with respect, like Mitchell Marsh and Manus Labushin are trying to play him out. I mean, who would have thought that when this game was being played on a flat pitch and it was Australia versus New Zealand? Glenn Phillips being played out so that they can wait for Trent Bolt and Matt Henry to take them down. But it was that kind of day. And you're right. Midway through, you felt that, okay, the pitch is slowing up. Even if Australia get to 340, it's about par, it's a good score. And then Pat Cummins takes down Jimmy Nisham for 27 runs in one over, hits him for four sixes in the 48. And Australia don't even bat 50 overs. You know, what did Sunil Gavaskar say? You have to bat 50 overs. What does? Yeah. What do all the experts say? You should never leave anything out there. Australia yeah. get bowled out with four balls to spare. And it could have come down to haunt them. Sure. But if you can score at 10 and over for 30 overs, that's better than scoring at 4 and over for 50 overs. Of course it is. I'm just saying that's what the... 
the elders say. Yeah, yeah that's always been the accepted wisdom, uh, which, given they scored so quickly at the end, actually seemed incorrect because it was like, okay, well, but they attacked so much that they scored more than they would have scored if they were being more cautious. It's the bit they were, where they were being cautious that nearly loses them the, the game because this is the bizarre thing, right? So, so Warner, I mean, Warner just goes from the off, like absolute freight train stuff. Travis Head joins in. He's just come back into the side from his broken hand. Absolutely didn't miss a beat with the 100. Some of the sixes they were hitting were absolutely enormous. Warner looks better than he's looked in his entire life the last few weeks. Even in the warm-up games, I was thinking, like, my God, he's hitting the ball well. More attacking than he's been for several years in white ball cricket. Nearly made three World Cup centuries on the trot, out for 81. Could have had 700s, equaled Rohit Sharma for World Cup 100s. He went past Virat Kohli for World Cup runs today, so he's fourth on the all-time list, only about 100 behind Kumar Sangakkara. But he gets out for 81, caught and bowled Glenn Phillips. And then Travis Head gets out to Glenn Phillips, you know, one that skids on, hits the middle of middle stump halfway up. Glenn Phillips ends up with three for 37, at a time when uh, Matt Henry was going for about 17 and over. You mentioned 15 off one ball. No ball, which they scored one run off. Free hit that Travis Head hits for six, which is also an overstep. So another free hit, which Travis Head also hits for six. Most players just get one off the free hits because they try to hit them too hard. Travis Head just pops them over mid-wicket. So they are absolutely flying. And like you said, on, on course, theoretically, for 560 or something like that. Maintaining the rate is hard. But I, I couldn't get my head around the Mitchell Marsh innings. 36 off 51. Didn't hit a boundary until his 44th ball. And when Mitch Marsh comes in, the point is he's supposed to hit boundaries. That's his job at three. Not, he was playing like they were six for 50, not like they were 175 for one when he came to the crease. Smith got the memo and came out and scored briskly for his 18. And then Labuschagne tried to but couldn't, just, just couldn't middle much and kept making mistakes. Mitchell Marsh, like you're right, I kept saying this on commentary as well, that wait, the advantage of having Travis Head at the top of the order is you can just continue in fifth gear if not sixth gear. And especially considering Marsh is coming off a World Cup century himself just three days ago or just five days ago, uh, it, it made what happened today even more bizarre. And yeah, his first boundary of the 44th ball, yes, the pitch was slowing down. Yes, Glenn Phillips and Rachin Ravindra were shown a lot more respect than maybe they deserved. Uh, even though they were bowling well. And he was trying to break free and you could see that he was waiting for Trent Bowl. As soon as Trent Bowl comes back, tries to smash the first two balls, misstands it and finally gets a boundary away and gets another boundary of a short shortish ball from Santner. And you could see him with a wry smile on his face. Gets out the very next ball. But just on Travis' head. Just think about it. Till a week ago, he was sitting back at home in Adelaide, watching his baby take her first steps, watching the first innings, switching off the television, going to sleep. And then he lands here, makes that 100, and is part of an all-time classic World Cup game. Uh, what a difference 10 days can make. Manus Labuschagne, absolutely daft from him today on 18. It's the 39th over. They've promoted Maxwell, who's listed at 7, but comes in ahead of Inglis at 6, because they're bowling spin at both ends, and they think... Australia think, well, get him in against spin while there are still only four fielders out instead of five. First ball of the over from Sandner. You're, you have one job as Manus Labuschagne at that point. Get a single, let Maxwell face five balls, see if he can hit three or four boundaries from them. Instead, Labuschagne goes for a big slog sweep, top edge, gets caught out in the deep, and then it's another four balls because Inglis has to come in and work out what's happening with Sandner. Maxwell gets strike for one ball, reverse 
hits it over short third for four. Because of course he does, because yeah. he's Glenn Maxwell. Does that a few more times. Smacks one of the biggest sixes I've ever seen that went over the top of our commentary box. Like, and we heard it land on the roof up above us. That ball didn't come back. Um, extraordinary, you know, followed on from his 100 the other night. So 41 from 24 for him, a couple of sixes and five fours. Um, and he's, you know, he wasn't hitting it quite as perfectly cleanly, but you know, he ends up getting caught down the ground by Bolt off Nisham, who, who bowled late in the piece, um, and Cummins takes him home with that, that incredible freight train sort of performance at the end with Inglis playing well. But, you know, they get bowled out, those last couple of wickets fall, New Zealand have a bit of momentum, um, and they come into it thinking, well, let's just give it a go, and they're aided by some absolutely shithouse Australian opening bowling. Mitchell Stark was nowhere today, but how many wides did he bowl? 15, 20? Extraordinary number of wides. So two sets of five wides, plus a bunch of others down the leg side. He donated extras early, uh, and Conway, and Will Young to an extent as well, laid into them. Will Young has a nice pull shot for six. Conway's flaying the ball behind point and through cover for four, and they're off to a quick start as well. Conway ends up 28 from 17, Will Young 32, um, but they put on a, a partnership of 61 by the eighth over, and you're thinking, well, okay, New Zealand think they're in this. New Zealand are going to give this a shake. And then Ravindra comes in and picks up where he left off against England, and then Mitchell comes in to support him. Yeah, and you, you spoke about Mitchell Stark, but Josh Hazelwood had an off day as well. Yes, he took the two wickets, but he had his radar not on target at all. Uh, he was bowling width, he was bowling down the leg side. Yes, Stark obviously struggled even more than Hazelwood did, went for over 20 runs in his first two overs. And then Hazelwood bowls one down the leg side that Conway tries to help around the corner. Mitchell Stark takes a really good catch, diving to his right. And then Will Young gets out, caught by Mitchell Stark at a deep third slip. I mean, yeah. he is a short third man, but he's so fine, it looks like he's at third slip. He takes a catch. And in that yeah. period... Is he caught well. That's the one, one thing he did do today, Stark, was he took important catches. Yeah, and he, he couldn't slog and uh, he refuses the single of the first ball of the 49th over. Next ball, he gets caught at deep mid-wicket. Yeah, so he didn't contribute much for the bat either, poor Mitchell Stark. Uh, but at that point, so New Zealand are flying in the first five overs, 50 without loss. And then in the next six overs, they scored 29 runs and lose two wickets. And generally in these big, massive run chases like we saw against Pakistan, you can't afford even a brief spell of low-scoring overs. And especially if you lose wickets in them as well. But that's where New Zealand were different. Darrell Mitchell keeps hitting the boundary, keeps finding the boundary. Every other over, they find the boundary. Pat Cummins goes for a few runs as well in his first two or three overs. Uh, and Rachin Ravindra plays second fiddle while Darrell Mitchell is up there. His strike rate is below 100 for large parts of that partnership. And then when Darrell Mitchell gets out, you think that that should be a good night for New Zealand. Or they'll, they'll make a good fist but not get close. But Ravindra just keeps flowing. And then uh, I remember there was a 4-5 over period, but each over went for at least 10 or 11 runs. And you're like, wait, New Zealand are getting back into yeah. this? Yeah, they're, they're up with 10s at a point where they needed that. They needed sort of 9 and over by then. But it starts coming down to sort of 8.8, 8.7. Then it drifts back up again. It, it sort of comes and goes um, as they chip away. So Mitchell gets out for his half century. The score's 168. Latham helps with a little partnership. He gets it up to 222. Glenn Phillips gets it up to 265. Um, and, and in this time, Ravindra's just started to blossom. He starts hitting sixes. I mean, some of the, you know, the, the cleanness of, of the shots, he hits over long on, over mid-wicket. He took on the spin. Mitchell hit the spin really well as well. So by the point that they come into the last 10 overs, they need about 100 off the last 10 or 90, 98, whatever it was, off the last 10. And it's entirely possible at that point. The rate that runs have been scored that night and then Ravindra gets out. He's made his 100. He's got his 113. The score's 293. So they're 95 away from the win when Ratchan Ravindra is uh, caught by Labashain down the ground, tries to sort of 
cross bat Cummins. It's a slower ball. It, it carries uh, down to long off to Manus Labuschagne. Um, and this is after you know Glenn Maxwell's made, made an important contribution, getting rid of Phillips as well, who's been caught by Labuschagne too, who did catch well. Didn't bat well, didn't field well, didn't ground field well, Labuschagne, but he did catch well. Um, and, and Zampa's made the early earlier incisions by getting rid of Mitchell and Tom Latham. So there have been contributions from Australia's spinners. While Ravindra's there, you're thinking New Zealand are probably going to do it. And once he gets out, even at the point he got out, I thought, well, they're close enough. They need about 90. They've got Nisham and, and they've got Santner. And all it needs is, say, both of these players to get 30 to 40 and they could pull off this ridiculous heist. Credit to Pat Cummins, though. He comes back. He did it against Sri Lanka. And I asked him about this in the press conference yesterday, about economy rates and if he's really even concerned about them anymore, especially with the role he has to play. And he said, no, I'm sticking to my role, which is to bowl in the middle overs, do what he does, change the pace, change of pace, rolls his fingers over the ball. Uh, and his off-cutters have become lethal. Uh, I've heard from uh, Louis Cameron uh, that he used to bowl that a lot in his early days of BBL cricket. And he's brought it back into this tournament. And it is the off-cutter that gets rid of Richard Rachin Ravindra makes him reach out. Good catch by Manas Labushain. Uh, and then he keeps bowling these slower bouncers, which are difficult to put away. Yes, he does concede a couple of boundaries here and there. And for the second time uh, this evening, as soon as he turns to Adam Zampa, he strikes. Uh, once again, beautiful googly to Mitchell Santner, who had hit a boundary previously in the over. The, uh, the, uh, he nearly gets, uh, gets under it, but he doesn't. And a good catch from Glenn Maxwell again in the deep. And at this point, you think it's Jimmy Neesham versus Australia. Yeah. Matt Henry hits a couple of boundaries as well. And then you're like... Wait, I mean, Jimmy Nishim hasn't played a World Cup inning since that World Cup final four years ago. Um, could he actually do it? And he nearly does. Just about. So, yeah, Henry slots that drive over mid-off for four to take him to nine. And you're thinking, well, OK, you know, it's under 50 to get at that point. Um, Santner's done a job. He makes 17 off 12, hits a four and a six. And, and it's a really good catch. Cause Maxwell down the ground, they've got a couple of fielders converging and he's, he's eyes fixed on the ball. He's yelling, get out of my way. I'm taking this one. And quite a few catches did go down as well in both innings. There was some some sloppy bits of fielding, uh, and there were some tough ones that got missed as well. It seems players find it harder to gauge catches up here. There've been a lot of catches mm. dropped at Durham Shaler. I do wonder about whether lower air pressure means the ball travels a little differently. Just a fraction might be enough. Um, so it's Trent Bolt batting with Nisham as they get into the last three overs. Is it two overs to go when, when Bolt hits the six down the ground? Yeah, so first ball of the second last over, bangs it down the ground, Labuschagne catches it and throws it back in, but he's stepped on the rope, a la Trent Bolt. Mm. Um, and it, and it, it counts as six, gets the single, gets Nisham on strike. Uh, and just before that, the six that Nisham drives over cover oh, off Mitchell Stark no, from the third last over, uh, exceptional one best shots I can remember seeing. Just power and timing. Stark continues having a filthy night. Still bowls the 48th and the 50th because they didn't have an all-round option. We didn't mention that they'd left out Green so that Labuschagne could stay in the side at five. They didn't have another bowling option to go to aside from, you know, it was Maxwell needing to come in and and do what Maxwell does and, and did a reasonable job in the end. So they were short on options. Had to use Stark to finish things off. Um, and it's, it's, it's Bolt and it's and it's Nisham and they end up needing 19 from the last over smacks a six there's the five wides to start that Stark bowls so they need 13 off five um, and and then what they need seven off two two, seven off two. 
and he's run out coming back for the second. Nisham had to. I mean, had to try. There was it was the only hope was to put pressure on the fielder. So again, shades of 2019. Late in that over, Nisham hits it out to deep midwicket. The left-hander um, comes back for the second run, gets run out. The, the throw's pretty scrappy. Um, they should have run out Trent Bolt earlier, but but Labuschagne just hurled it wide of Stark, who was standing at the stumps, going, um, "Just throw it to me. Don't try to ping the stumps down direct hit from from short cover." So Australia. I mean, they, they managed to save it, but they probably shouldn't have saved it. Their mm. bowling, like their, um, mm. their opening bowling particularly, has been dreadful. They've conceded a century partnership in every game, except for the India game, where after they picked up the three early wickets, they then conceded a partnership of 164. Um, Sri Lanka had a, a century opening stand against them. So did South Africa. So did Pakistan. Mm. And today it wasn't a century opening stand, but it was a huge sort of second, third wicket stands. They've really struggled to take wickets in the first 30 overs of matches, and they've only been able to haul things back towards the back end with spin and then sometimes with the quick bowling cutters and pace off. Yeah, and which is why those crucial runs uh, that Pat Cummins made proved to be the difference eventually, didn't it? Uh, uh, if they'd just managed 350, who knows? I mean, obviously, this is all different in game. a different game, but New Zealand might have chased it down. Uh, but you're right, I mean, uh, the first 25 overs before the ball gets scuffed up, uh, there hasn't been much swing for any of the bowlers except that first evening in Chennai when Hazelwood and Stark were unplayable. Uh, but ever since that, they've really relied on Pat Cummins, who I said has come in the middle overs and bowl cutters and taken wickets for them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to feel for Jimmy Nisham, right? Yeah, he kept trying for that boundary in the last over. Until then, Stark had not got. Uh, most things right today with the ball uh, and with Jimmy Nisham just the way he shapes up as well opens his front leg up you can't miss your length he will kill you he hit one over the covers for six uh, he pinged a couple over, over the onside as well but in that last over somehow Stark got it full enough uh, or there was a full toss as well the one that he got run out of where J Jimmy Nisham just couldn't get under the ball to pop it over the boundary uh, and a boundary that was cleared very often as well as a result Australia just kept stacking and great feeling as well Glenn Maxwell throwing his body on the Line, Manus Labushain making up for the uh, the mistake and the boundary where his True. foot and that's what really kept us. They had to scrap and scratch to just mm. stay overboard and win in the end. That's third and fourth balls of the over. Both of them should go for four. Yeah. He nails one down the ground between mid on and mid off, and he nails one between deep backward square and mid wicket. It's Maxwell the first, Labushain the second, just flinging themselves across the ground on this horrible sandy outfield where you mm. stick in the ground. Both of them did stick and fall and flip over, um, but managed to scramble the ball back in you know any well most other sides that's going to the rope for four and Nisham probably um, ends up on the winning side he finishes with 58 from 39 three fours and three sixes magnificent from him um, Adam Zampa three for 74 after taking four in his last three games uh, so they they get there Australia but unconvincing in a lot of ways aside from that opening partnership let's get to the final word Hall of Fame the Hall of Fame, where we pick our most final word moment for the day, or several of them. I, I have to have a word for Mitchell Stark, with none for 89 from nine overs. He's broken the streak. He's, I can't remember how many innings it's been, but he's taken a wicket. He's taken a wicket every ODI innings for quite a while. And in every World Cup innings he's ever bowled in. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's not having a good World Cup, Mitchell Stark. 27 wickets in 2015, 22 wickets in 2019. He's taken seven in six games here. He's averaging 30-plus. Uh, he's going at over six and over, and his strike rate, most crucially, is 38. So he's taking a wicket every 38 balls, um, or, or it might be up to 40 now with that, you know, that last over that he bowled when I last looked at the stats. In 2015, he took a wicket every 17 balls. You know, it, it was like he, and he was deadly at that tournament, but he's not there. What's going on? What's, what's up with Mitchell Stark? 
the ball's not swinging, right? Like he uh, in both those tournaments, he got a lot of wickets with the new ball and then came back and uh, wrapped up the tail. Or he would come back and bowl the Yorkers, the, the kinds he bowled to Stokes. Mm. And it's not that he's been bowling poorly. I think I thought he started well against India. Which it was very poor today at the start. Yeah, he, today he was. Re I think it was his worst performance so far. He got his radar wrong and almost lost him the game. When he goes for five wides in that last over, you now you're thinking. Yeah. And Jimmy Nisham, he'd already hit a few boundaries. You're like, oh. it's Jimmy Nisham. He yeah. just needs a couple of boundaries, and that's yeah. it. They're home. The calculation when you go from 19 off six needed to 14 off six needed, it hasn't cost you a ball, and you picked up five free runs. I mean, that could be enough to throw off most teams. I'd have to say he did well start to come back and actually nail a couple of deliveries late in the over. Oh, he did. No. But he got away with the full toss. I think that was the story of Australia towards the last half an hour. Manus Labuschagne would be my Hall of Fame nominee. Um, he had a mixed day uh, with the bat you said. Also. Uh, you know, he uh, plays that uh, straight sweep. He plays, connects with one, attempts another one, gets out. Uh, and yeah, I mean, at that point when Trent Bowl hits it, it's something you expect modern day fielders to be aware of how close they are to the rope. And now he, is been he has been fielding on the boundary for quite a while. But on that occasion, you could see the guilt on his face. He's such an expressive face as well. He had stepped on the rope before he pulled the back in. But then to pull off those two uh, saves in the last over, and yeah, I mean, the throw wasn't the best, uh, but he got it to Josh Inglis and what a perform what a, what a show from Josh Inglis remember we were on commentary together when Rachin Ravindra got an inside edge and Josh Inglis threw himself to the right and stopped the ball those ones go for four so often and I remember saying it to you that this could probably keep Australia in the game if it does get close and it came down to that, right? It came down to those small margins, even though they were chasing down 389. Uh, and his, uh, the fact that he collected the ball wide of the stumps and threw himself toward the mm. stumps and, and got him run out. Because if Nishim completes the run, it's 5 of 1, it's a penalty shootout. Penalty shootout. Um, back to England for penalty shootouts, I suppose. Where you would go if you wanted to go ice skating. The final word Hall of Fame is brought to you by Westfield London, where they're building the ice skating rink. It's happening in November. It's coming very, very soon. You can get down there, strap on the blades, and uh, do your Stephen Bradbury impression, which means staying on your feet while everyone else falls over. That is the best way to be the best ice skater around. And you can stop by the tallest Christmas tree in Europe. And maybe elsewhere. I don't know. Maybe other continents. There must be several. Uh, definitely the tallest Christmas tree in Antarctica. Mm. So that's at least two continents. And maybe we could knock off. I don't reckon South America has a bigger tallest Christmas tree. You know, you wouldn't know this. You're, you're doing your citizenship process at the moment. But in Australia, you always have to claim the Southern Hemisphere um, as your way of trying to make something sound good. <laughs> you know, tallest building in the Southern Hemisphere because, you know, we're... Uh, the competition's not so fierce once you're south of the equator. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe we'll head back to England in November and do a bit of ice skating. Anything else for the Hall of Fame? Anything else that stood out for you? I, I mean, I just, I just have... Uh, my, a Hall of Fame is like how much I enjoyed that much. Yes. I'm full of admiration for how everybody went about it, how Ravindra tried, how Nisham tried. They even start coming back when he's had a miserable night and, and, and at least closing it out in that last over. Um, and Travis Head coming back from his busted hand and just smoking 100. David Warner looking a million bucks. Uh, it was fun. It wasn't fun for bowlers. And you don't want every match to be yeah. like that. You want to see some 220s versus 220s as well. But it was good fun. And you know what? And this, I might be giving away my intro here. I think it's the 
script for, for the perfect ODI, if you think about it. Yes, the bowlers when travel the distance. People always say low-scoring thrillers are the best, but you had everything. You had centuries from both teams, uh, you had some decent bowling performances, and it went down to the wire and it came down to one boundary of the last ball. I mean, it would have been even better if Jimmy Nisham had faced the last ball and failed to score a, a boundary, you know, in yeah. that sense. But he gets run out, but uh, and yeah. Lockie Ferguson has well, to... Yeah, that, he, he should get a Hall of Fame nom, Lockie Ferguson, who bowled three overs, yeah. did his Achilles, and had to come out with one ball to face, being unable to walk properly in his black trainers and had to try to hit a six off one ball to win and hit it straight to cover. Um, wasn't out. Didn't run. Didn't run. What, what was the point of running I know, at that I know. stage? Exactly. Yeah. Tear your Achilles for a, a, a tenth decimal point of net run rate. I have one more on Jimmy Nishim. Uh, remember that famous picture of him, game's over, they lose a close game and he sat there on the chair. Today I saw him once again walk out with his uh, pads on. You could see there was relief in the Australian camp, but all of them went up to him and just like patted him on the back. And uh, even now, as I was walking upstairs, Travis Head finished his press conference as they walked out. Uh, I think Daryl Mitchell and Rachin Ravindra were there. And just, just I didn't to completely hear what their conversation was, but you could see that there was this excitement that they'd played this incredible World Cup match, uh, one that we will remember forever. So New Zealand stay third, Australia fourth, but it's only net run rate that separates them now. Uh, on the tournament goes. Tomorrow is England versus India. Australia's next game is against who? Where are we going? We're going to... Ahmedabad in, against England, but oh. there's a week break between now and then, so right. I'm off somewhere else. Okay, okay. And um, and uh, New Zealand are playing South Africa next, so that'll be another stern test for them. They've lost to India, they've lost to Australia. Sure, they won four at the start, but they've lost two now. All right, this has been the Final Word World Cup Daily, Day 24, Barrett Cinderace and Jeff Lemon. Thanks to Westfield London for sponsoring the show. If you want to be part of what we're doing, patreon.com slash the final word. Get involved. It's a lot of fun right now. It's the World Cup. Come on in. The water's fine. We'll see you tomorrow. Protected by the way I ain't fenced And if my future questions my current senses that would be the same we've been doing for centuries Sorry if I ran out to empty Wrote this so you know what I meant here I had to go about it, write it out And 